Well, good morning, church family. I want to welcome all of you today and also those of you who are joining us online and live streaming with us today. And it's great to see the chairs filling up. It's um, wonderful to see people coming back. And I learned something new this morning. I had no idea that Pastor Jeremy was in fourth grade when we hired him. Now, if you caught that, when he did that introduction, he turned to Cameron and he said, and Cameron is also in 10th grade. So um, Jeremy's been with us about six years now, so I did the math. But anyway, you know, it was wonderful to hear what God is doing in our youth ministry. And just to see how Benjamin had already stated that God is just using these teens and drawing teens to himself, and they're active in our community and discipling one another. It's great to see that. And I also, before I go to prayer, want to remind us next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And here we are, it's Palm Sunday, and we're celebrating Jesus Christ and his triumphal entry and the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We're going to see that in Revelation chapter 5 this morning. But remember, we have three services next Sunday, um, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. And you'll need to register for one of those services online. I encourage you to do so soon. But uh, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ together this week. And we hope to see you next week. Well, before we jump into the Word of God this morning, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that we can gather together here, and Lord, as we have been going through this difficult time of a pandemic, we see, Lord, people coming back. And Father, it's great to see friends and loved ones in our church family as we gather together again. Father, I pray that as we celebrate this Easter and we celebrate the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that you would help us to remember our own sinfulness, the depth of our sin, and Lord, your, your surpassing love as your Son, Jesus Christ, came into this world and Lord, lived a life here among us and died a tragic and terrible death. And Lord, in doing so, he took upon the sins of the whole world so that, Lord, through the resurrection, Lord, we could have life, that we could be brought back into a right relationship with you. And Father, as we think about our community around us, there's so many around us that don't know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we, as your, your believers, as your children, Father, that we would be faithful to let our community, our neighbors, our loved ones know what we're celebrating at Easter. And Father, I pray that our celebration as a church family would be a wonderful one as we celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus, this week. And Father, now as we continue in our series in the book of Revelation, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts and Lord, do a great work within us today. Father, change us and help us to know you better through the pages of your word as we read it together and as we study it together this morning. God, we commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go through this passage this morning, we're going to be continuing in the book of Revelation. And as we look at chapter 5 this morning, there's two very prominent words in chapter 5 that I want you to remember. And we're going to make it easy because both of these words begin with the letter W. They are worthy and worship. Now, I want to encourage you as we work through this passage to remember those two words because as we move through this, you're going to see that that's going to lead you to the main idea of where we're going 
and really what God is showing us through this chapter, chapter 5 of Revelation. As we've um, made clear in the last several weeks, that the letter of Revelation was written by the Apostle John, and it was targeted to persecuted Christians 2,000 years ago who were fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to you and me, and they were suffering intensely with living the Christian life in the midst of the fallen and broken world in which they lived. And much like us, they were struggling with sin and suffering and death and conflict and relational conflict, but also beyond what we tend to experience as American believers, they also were suffering from intense persecution, even to the point of martyrdom. And as, as the Apostle John wrote this letter, he was inspired by God with the very words of God to be able to reach out to the hearts of these believers who were struggling in this fallen world. And I think for us today, these last 12 months have been such a reminder to us that we also live in a very fallen and broken world. So it's our hope that as we go through Revelation, it was written with this in mind, that this is an encouragement to all of us as we go through life struggling in a fallen world where we see all around us sickness and sin and death and conflict and the challenges that we face today as well. Pastor John did a wonderful job last Sunday laying the foundation for today's message. Because last week, as John went through chapter 4, what we're going to see today is that chapter 4, which we looked at last week, and chapter 5 that we're looking at this morning are very closely tied together. See, these two chapters make up a throne room vision of the, that God gave to the Apostle John. He actually took John in the spirit and he took him and he gave them this vivid portrayal of the very throne room of God. And what we see in chapter 5, it's a continuation of that vision. But what we see as well is that the figures, those who were prominent in chapter 4, are back again today in chapter 5. We saw central was the one who sits on the throne, God the Father. We saw the 24 elders. We saw myriads and myriads of angels. We saw the four creatures. However, what we're going to see today is that a new figure comes onto the scene in chapter 5 and becomes central not only in chapter 5, but as we go through the, book of Revel the rest of the book of Revelation. Now, last week, John put up a chart. I wanted to put that back up again today because what he was showing us is as today, as, as Revelation is studied and theologians and pastors look at the book, beginning in chapter 4, working our way through chapter 19, there's a number of different ways in which the book of Revelation is interpreted. Because this throne room vision that God had given to the Apostle John kicks off what we really see now as what we would think of as Bible prophecy. And as we look here and we see in Revelation 4 through 19, that top view, that's what we can call a future view. What it's basically saying is that when we get into chapter 4 and then we get it, go on into all the way up to 19 and we see the different the seals, the bowls, the trumpets, and the different visions that come with it, the future view is saying that those events are still to take place in the future from our time today. So they ha these events have not yet taken place. It's a future view. Underneath that, we see what's called the church age view. And what that is saying is that the church age, it began back in 2,000 years ago, 
Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was given to believers of Jesus Christ, and the church age was inaugurated. We still live in that church age today, and it takes place all the way up to the return of Jesus Christ. And from that perspective, what they're saying is that these events from chapter 4 to 19 have been unfolding all throughout the church age. Some of them could still be future, yet to be fulfilled today, but some have already been being fulfilled throughout the church age. Now, John made a point last week, and it's actually true, that we've been enjoying as a, a pastoral team preaching through and working through the book of Revelation because even within our own pastoral staff, there's different views on how we would look at and interpret the events of Revelation. And that's okay. And I want to assure you that that's okay, and I want to give you a little story to help you understand it. When I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, I had a, one of my professors, um, a theology professor, was Dr. Leitner. And Dr. Leitner wrote, some of his writings were on end times Bible prophecy. And Dr. Leitner had, there was a, a counterpart of his who was a professor right in this area at Westminster Seminary. And he had these two professors, Dr. Leitner and the one at West, professor at Westminster, had different views on how the events of Revelation would unfold. And what, I, what we noticed was each of them, as they wrote books, the other one would write a book kind of countering the other's book. Um, they didn't have blogs back then, so they wrote articles, and they would write an article, and one would write the article, and the other would write a counter-article. And this started going back and forth, and it started getting pretty heated between the two of them. And one day in class, um, Dr. Leitner um, kind of paused, and he said, you know, I want you to understand something. He said, one day, when Jesus Christ returns, he said, he, referring to the other professor, he and I are going to rise up together and we're going to be going up in glory to Jesus Christ and we'll be spending eternity together in glory. But then he kind of gave a little smile and he said, but when that happens, I'll be able to look over at him with a smile and say, see, I told you so. <laughs> but the point that Dr. Leitner was making was that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we as churches today, cannot let secondary issues like the timing of end time events divide us as believers in Jesus Christ. It's important to study. It's in the Word of God. We want to know what God teaches, and we do need to try to understand it and come up with our own views. But we shouldn't let the timing of these end time events be something that divides us as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, let's turn to God's Word. We're going to pick up in chapter 5. I'd like to read, us, read all the way through verses 1 to 14, and then we'll come back and take a look at the sections individually. Would you join with me as we read Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1? I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. 
And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood and purchased with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, last week, in chapter 4, I mentioned what John was seeing was this very throne room vision of God. And we saw the one who was seated upon the throne, who was God the Father. And now what we see as we begin in verse 1, it says that he was holding in his right hand a scroll. Now, this scroll contains the secret decrees and plans of God for how life for his people is going to fare as history moves towards a climax. Now, as John was watching this scene, he realized there was one problem. See, the, the scroll was sealed with seven seals. And it said there was no one who was worthy to open the scrolls. And in that first part, in these first, like, really these first four verses, what we see is it says that John began to weep. And what we saw was he became like overwhelmed with this sense of hopelessness because here was God holding this scroll that laid out the plans for God for his people so that God's plans would come to fruition for the people of God, but there was nobody worthy to open the scroll. And John weeped. And folks, I will tell you, if the scene had ended there, every one of us in this room should fall down and weep in utter hopelessness because there is nobody worthy to open that scroll. But what we see is that an angel comes and he says to John, basically, wait, don't weep. Remember I mentioned the two W's, the first one of being worthy. The angel says, for there is one and only one who is worthy to open the scrolls. The seals. So turn with me. Let's go back now to verse 5. And I want to pick up in verse 5. And I want to read those because that's the setting now. Nobody is worthy. And all of a sudden an angel proclaims, wait, there is one who is worthy to open the seals. And we pick up in verse 5. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome 
That's what we're going to be celebrating next weekend, too. On Good Friday and Easter, he has overcome. And now in this vision, so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. What we see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome and he's worthy to open the scrolls. Give a little background. When it says here, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that goes back to Genesis chapter 49. And what we saw there, we saw that, that Jacob was blessing his sons in Genesis 49. And when he came to Judah, his fourth son, he refers to Judah as a lion. And in the blessing that he goes on to give to his son Judah, it says, the scepter will never leave your hands. See, what he's referring to there is the ultimate fulfillment. The lion of the tribe of Judah was Jesus Christ. You see, the root of David. If you look back at, at, at the lineage and you go through and we see that, that Jesus was from the tribe of, of Judah. He was one that was in line with King David. And when God had given that promise to Judah, the scepter will never leave your hands, the ultimate fulfillment of that came in the person of Jesus Christ a king in the line of King David who will reign eternally as king forever. So the line of the tribe of Judah, the scepter will never leave his hands. But now as we go on here, we see that this scene in verse 6, it continues to get even a little bit wilder because what it says, it says that this lion, and we, when we think of a lion, we think of like conquering lions, ferocious beasts, and the lion is now described as a lamb. Picture that. The conquering lion is also the sacrificial lamb of God. Now we think about that, it's, it's just such a strange but incredibly beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. The lion is the lamb, and the lamb is the lion. Now, picture the sacrificial lamb of God. It said he saw a, a lamb as if sta standing as if slain. What an imagery that is of the sacrificial lamb of God who is also described as the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. Now what we see is that the only reason, remember the hopelessness of John? Nobody could open the scroll. And what we see, the only reason that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll is because he was slain. Now, what I don't want to do is take away from the divinity of Jesus Christ in your minds. When I say he's only worthy because he was slain, it doesn't take anything away from his divinity. He's fully God. It doesn't take anything away from his perfections because he's perfectly holy, perfectly perfect in every way through his earthly life and all throughout eternity. But you see, the Lamb of God needed to be slain to be worthy to open the scrolls. See, as, as John looked on, what he realized, an angel wasn't worthy to open the scrolls. No person who ever lived was worthy to open the scrolls. Folks, we would never be worthy of opening the scrolls. But it had to be the sacrificial lamb of God who was fully man and yet fully God. And as he gave his life, 
for your sins and mine, the Lamb of God became worthy to open the scrolls. It's a great imagery. As I read through this, and I was thinking about the unworthiness of us, my unworthiness, your unworthiness, the depravity of man of all time, and then thinking about the worthiness of Jesus Christ, perfectly worthy, perfectly holy, what I started to realize was that John, in this throne room vision, was given an unbelievable glimpse at the gospel. You see, when we think about the gospel, what the gospel is, it's the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we think of the gospel strictly in terms of salvation. And that's an absolute necessary part of the gospel because, folks, all of us are sinners. And the only thing that we're deserving of on our own is death. You see, we're completely unworthy. But then when we think about Jesus Christ in all of his holiness, we see that Jesus Christ alone could save us from our sins. And we see the perfection of of, of God. And we see how the sacrificial lamb of God died for my forgiveness, for your forgiveness. And what we're seeing and what John saw here with the unworthiness of man and the angels and all of creation and the absolute worthiness of Jesus Christ, he saw a beautiful display of the gospel. And as I thought about that, it reminded me of the cross chart. I put, I put this up on the screen for you guys a couple of years ago. It, came from, it comes from the gospel-centered life. And I, I want to help you understand as we think about worthiness, and that's our first W word to think about, As you look at this chart, what it shows here on the top line, you see it going upward, it says a growing awareness of God's holiness. The bottom line says a growing awareness of my flesh and sinfulness. Now, in light of Revelation chapter 5, what we can think about is that top line really is the worthiness of Jesus Christ. The bottom line, we could consider the unworthiness of you and me. And if you notice, between those two lines, you see the cross. Remember I mentioned that Jesus Christ, the only reason he was worthy to open the scrolls was because he was slain? Now, if you look behind me, you see our cross. The cross is so central to this scene, but the cross of Jesus Christ is so central to the book of Revelation. Folks, apart from the cross, the seals could never be opened, and we would be hopeless, we would be eternally hopeless. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins, a right relationship with God. We are redeemed, creation is redeemed, and the book of Revelation with God's plans and decrees unfolds. But as you see that chart, think about this on an individual basis. See, as, as we become aware of our sinfulness and our unworthiness picture the line here as we become more aware of it that line starts to drop downward our awareness grows and picture the cross is attached to the line and as our awareness of our sinfulness our utter depravity our hopeless condition grows what happens as the line goes down and we further and further the cross begins to grow now what happens as we forget about our absolute sinfulness, our need for a savior, you see, we start thinking that we're good enough. We start thinking that, well, maybe God grades on a curve and I don't really need a savior. 
I am good enough. And as we start losing sight of our own sinfulness, picture that line going upward and kind of flattening out, moving upward. And as that moves upward, the cross becomes smaller. And in our lives, the gospel takes less of a place of importance. Now, there's a picture of it there. If we lose sight of our sinfulness, that line moves all the way up. And you see how the cross becomes smaller? Now, conversely, that top line says a growing awareness of God's holiness. Remember, in this imagery, what I don't want us to forget in Revelation 5 is the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And as, as we grow in our awareness of the holiness of God and, the, and the, the worthiness of Jesus, that top line moves upward. And what happens to the cross? As our understanding of Christ's worthiness grows, the cross gets bigger. You see, now, as we lose sight of the holiness of Jesus, the worthiness of Christ, that line drops down and the cross becomes smaller. And what happens in our lives when that happens? See, as, as the gospel plays less importance in my life or yours, what ends up happening is we start to replace it with other things. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's, and I can just start rattling off the things that we start to fill our lives with because Jesus is no longer central and the gospel plays less and less of a role in our lives. I mentioned that we're going to be looking at two W's this morning. The first one was the worthiness of Jesus Christ. The second one was worship. You see, as our awareness of Christ's worthiness grows, there's only one response to that, and that is worship. And that's what we're going to see taking place as we finish out here in chapter 5. Let's pick up reading. I want to pick up in verse 8. And it's talking now about the Lamb. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You had made, made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. See, so now, as we're thinking here about worship, what we see is that just as God the Father in chapter 4 was worshipped, he was worshipped as creator, in chapter 5 what we're seeing now is that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is being worshipped as our Redeemer. And I want to make a point, though. Picture this. We see all of this. We see, remember, all the figures in chapter 4 are now here in chapter 5. And we see that we had a myriad upon myriads of angels, the 24 elders, the four creatures. What happens when the Lamb of God walks up and takes the scroll from the, from the Father? They all fall down before the Lamb and worship. Now, think about it. How many people do we hear over the centuries deny the deity of Jesus Christ? Say, oh, he was, he was a good teacher. Oh, he was a prophet. Oh, he was, he's one of many ways to get to God. If we look at Revelation chapter 19, the apostle John sees an angel in all of the angel's glory, and John falls down as if to worship the angel. And what does the angel say? 
Don't do that. Worship only God. Well, now what we see here, that the angels themselves are falling down in worship of Jesus Christ. You see, this is a great statement of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Now also, one other thing that's encouraging for us, if we look in verse 8, it says here that um, as this worship was taking place, golden bowls full of incense were rising up before God, which are the prayers of the saints. Have you ever thought to yourself, do my prayers really matter? You see, here we see this glorious scene of worship taking place and everyone falling down in worship. And we saw the, the majesty of the throne and the sea of glass that was before God and the thunder, the lightning, the stones. We see all of this taking place. And in the midst of it, there's golden bowls of incense with the prayers of the saints rising up before God. You know whose prayers they are? They're yours. They're mine. They're the saints of all time. That in the midst of all of this worship, folks, your prayers are rising up before God. See, in this majestic picture of God, it should be so reassuring to all of us to know that God loves you. God desires to hear your prayers. God answers your prayers. He may not answer them the way you want them to. And I have a feeling when we look back years down the road, we'll be awfully glad that he didn't because he answers them in all of his knowledge. But in the midst of all of this worship, our prayers were rising up before God. If this isn't motivation for us to grow in our prayer life, I don't know what is. Now, as well, it says here, as we move on to, to verse 9, it says that, that Jesus Christ purchased for God, with your blood, the blood of the Lamb, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What a beautiful picture of the diversity that heaven is going to have. You see, God was saving people from all people groups, from every tribe, people, language, and nation. See, one of the things that gave me a picture of is if you look back in Acts chapter 2 and you remember the day of Pentecost and, and Peter was preaching and all of the people said they came from all of the nations around and they were hearing Peter in their own language. I think that was probably just a little foretaste of what heaven is going to be like as people from all nations and tribes and languages are going to be gathered before God in worship and language barriers will just cease to exist. What a beautiful picture. I mentioned that our prayer should be motivation to pray. Folks, this picture of the diversity of heaven and people from every tribe and nation are going to be present. That should be a motivation for us to take the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to all peoples of the world so that everybody can hear. Now, I want to go down. I want to finish reading 11 through 14 as we wrap up for today. It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. 
and the elders fell down and worshipped. It says here that myriads and myriads of angels, I don't know how many that is, but I can assure you it's a whole lot of angels, were the first words out of their mouth as they worshipped the Lamb was worthy. See, Jesus Christ alone is worthy. I want to encourage all of us when we think about the book of Revelation, we can get caught up and we'll be looking at these things. We'll be looking at the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and all of the imagery that comes with it. But what we can't lose sight of is the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And that worthiness should be motivation that drives us to worship our risen Savior. Folks, I, I, I don't know about you, but you know, when I think about the encouragement that this book brings. This has been a hard year, hasn't it? So I think about it and we think about all of the, the sicknesses, the, the sickness we've seen and the isolation and the social distancing and the masks and we've seen, you know, we've seen political disunity and we've seen abortion being talked about. And we see all these things that are coming in upon us and it can become so discouraging. I'm just memorial services with people that, you know, families that have lost loved ones and we're just reminded of the brokenness of the world that we live in. And here God was reaching out 2,000 years ago to a people that were going through many of the same things and he wanted to turn their thoughts back to Jesus Christ. And if I could sum up the book of Revelation in a very short statement, you know what that would be? God wins. You see, as we look around us today, Satan is having a field day. And it can become so discouraging. But if we look at one simple statement, we can remind one another, and that is as we look at this storyline all the way through the book of Revelation, God wins. And we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who alone is worthy, and He's worthy to be worshipped. And no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how discouraged you are, Remember as we go through this that Jesus Christ was victorious. We're going to celebrate that this coming Sunday as we celebrate Easter. But God wins.